So anyway, um, we're looking at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 today. Uh, very good passage of Scripture. We've, we've looked at a lot of things, mostly from the Hebrew perspective. And we've talked a lot about Jesus, and he is our high priest, and uh, we've, we've covered a lot of those issues. Right now, we're going to get kind of practical in Hebrews, at least these two verses. And uh, this is a very, I think, an important two verses. Uh, I've been saying that every week. It's important verses. Uh, but for us, as far as perseverance goes, there's so much in our world, so much in our society that is taking place that can easily discourage us. And, and we can become discouraged and, and feel like we, we just can't go on. And, and today really is about perseverance, and we're going to focus... Uh, on several issues, but uh, the first one, very simply, is run the race. Run the race. Now, you'll notice in verse 1, Therefore, since we are clouded or surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, obviously, this therefore points back to chapter 11, in which uh, he goes through a litany of heroes of the faith. Now, when we think about this, cloud and, and by the way the, uh, the the word here is nephos it's only used here in the New Testament the wrong view of this is that there's a magnitude in heaven that is looking down on us encouraging us to go through the race and and while that's a nice sentiment and I and I hear this all the time my mom's looking down on me uh, that's not really the use of the term here in, in, in fact, I believe that when we pass from this life into the next, we can't see what's going on on this side of the fence. Uh, give an example, in Luke 16, 27 to 31, the rich man said to Abraham, please send somebody back to let my five brothers know. And Abraham said, they have the law and the prophets. So, it's a nice sentiment to, to think that grandma or grandpa or your aunt or uncle is looking down on you and cheering you, but that's not actually the sense of the word here. The word literally means a great multitude, so a large group. John MacArthur makes a good note in his commentary. I do not believe the cloud of witnesses uh, standing in the galleries of heaven watching us perform. The idea here is not that we should be faithful lest they be disappointed. They are examples, not spectators. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have people that are witnesses. Some of those are, in, in fact, alive. And the writer here is referring back to chapter 11. Uh, let me give you a, uh, a litany of uh, some of those. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, this is chapter 11, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the walls of Jericho, Rahab, and the list goes on and on. And the writer is saying, look, you have a group of witnesses, all of these have died, but they are examples of what it means to be faithful. If you go back and read chapter 11, you'll see that there was this 
all these issues and circumstances in which these people were fa uh, faithful. Now, when we think about our own lives, all of us have mentors. All of us have people who have invested in our lives. And when I think about my life, um, I, I think about Dr. Windsor. Dr. Windsor uh, was my preaching professor when I was in Bible college. And one of the things that I learned for doc from Dr. Windsor was not only how to exegete a passage of scripture, but also how to outline the sermon. And I remember in class one day, I, I silently to myself, I said, Lord, I want to immerse myself into the sermon process. Make me the best preacher of the sermon that I can be. And that never left me. And so Dr. Windsor had a huge influence. I mean, if you listen to him preach, he's not as charismatic or he's, he's very methodical in the way that he preaches. And uh, so he had a big influence on my life. Uh, an, another man was Dr. Grant Osborne at uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And he wrote a book called The Hermeneutical Spiral, and we had to read it. And in his, uh, I actually had him sign because he's well known. Uh, May our Lord richly bless your ministry of the word. We had to trace in his class the exegesis from the time of Jesus all the way to the present. And we had to give an overview of that in class. That also is where I, I learned how to go deeper into the sermon and how to extract more and more from the scripture. So he was a witness to me. He was a mentor to me. And then uh, there's Dr. Sweeney. Uh, Holly went with me. Uh, Dr. Sweeney uh, was, this is one of the books that he wrote, Nathaniel Taylor, New Haven Theology and the Legacy of Jonathan Edwards. And in here, uh, he taught the class. And I remember uh, I picked out Charles Finney and the rise of evangelical, uh, evangelicalism in America. And I had to give an overview of that book in class. And he was so, uh, the way that I told the stories and the way that I did things, he just said, Michael, you did a really great job with that book. And I liked your sense of humor, which, um, and, then, and then he wrote this to Michael Frazier, brother in Christ and colleague in the gospel ministry with respect and affection, Douglas Sweeney. So he really uh, also, in that class, we learned how they structured application. And some of that is still in use today. Then there's Dr. Newt Larson. He still has not signed one of my books, and I gotta talk to him about that. Um, Newt Larson taught us how to think logically. And also how to, he, I remember in class one day, he said, you've got to say the same thing three different ways because you have three different audiences out there. My wife often says, why do you repeat yourself? Well, part of it's from Newt Larson, so blame him. <laughs> then there was Dr. Averbeck, also at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, he taught me the Old Testament law and uh, one of the papers that I wrote for him, he said, you need to turn this into a book because it's quite good. Um, and so I learned the Levitical priesthood. I learned all the dynamics associated with the law of Moses. So these are some of the witnesses. There's many more in my life that uh, 
have not only provided instruction but encouragement. Let me, let me say this. We are a great cloud of witnesses this morning. You have the opportunity and the joy to share an encouragement with one another. And so the writer says, we are, see, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And uh, these witnesses, honestly, many of you have been a witness to me too. Some of the things that you have, you have done have helped me in my own walk. So we have all these witnesses. We should not be discouraged. We should not want to quit. We should not want to give up. We have so many witnesses in our lives that it would keep us moving forward as we live for Jesus. And he says here, let us also, we'll look at the command now, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us in run with endurance the race that is set before us. I want to make four observations. First of all, lay aside every weight. Apothesomi, apothesomi, which means to stop or put away. That is lay aside, stop or put away every weight on coast. And that word means hindrance. Now this is a broad spectrum. Lay aside every weight. It can be emotional, it can be spiritual, it can be physical. Uh, I think of Johnny Erickson Tata, who could have quit, could have given up after she became uh, paralyzed, but she did not. She kept going. You need to put those things away. You need to set them down. And, and the writer is saying, look, you need to get rid of this weight. That means get, get whatever it is that is hindering your run. You need to set it down, lay it down, and leave it there. And, it, and again, it can be, the word here is very broad. It can mean spiritual, emotional, physical. You have to let that stuff go. It needs to be put down. Because it is impossible to run a race when you are weighted down. Uh, back when I uh, went to aerosol school, uh, and they've still kept this tradition, uh, we had a 12-mile run slash walk. Uh, I don't know other way to say it, just real much, real pain. Uh, and it was 12 miles, and you had to make that 12 miles in five hours. Carrying a full pack made it very difficult because there was so much weight on that pack that it kept you from running. You could run in short spurts, trust me, you could do it. And many times during that 12 miles, you would see guys, particularly in Hawaii, we had to go up this uh, mountain, and I can't remember which mountain it was, but you would see guys, and myself included, would sit down and take a break because the weight was so heavy. And you can't graduate unless you finish that 12 miles. But that was a hindrance to our finishing the race faster. And the writer is here is saying, you got to lay that weight down. You got to let it go. Maybe it's something in your past. Maybe it's something that's happened in your life now. You got to lay it down because it hinders your ability to run. Secondly, he, know, he, he says here, sin which clings. Sin, harmatia, which is the word for wrongdoing. And clinging, the word there means controlling, restricting, 
or obstructing. I don't know if you've ever tried this. Uh, Three-legged race. <laughs> uh, I think the last time I did it, I fell flat on my face, and of course the guy fell with me. Um, sin, wrongdoing, can really hinder your ability to run. And it can change the trajectory of how you run. And so he's saying, look, you, you've got to take this these weights that are on your back that, and it could be worry, it could be anything. You need to get rid of that, and you also at the same time need to get rid of those things in your life that are hindering your ability to run. Thomas Lay in his commentary writes this, such encouragement should at least lead us to cast aside every hindrance and besetting sin. We are to rid ourselves of any thought, attitude, or practice which impedes our progress in the Christian life. Sin finds an easy victim in all of us, so we must reject its entanglements. And so the writer here is saying, look, we're surrounded by these great cloud of witnesses, but we got to run the race. And the way to run the race is you got to let stuff go, and you've got to be careful with sin because it entangles us and traps us. And then he says... Let us run. Uh, immediately, I, I, I thought about Forrest Gump. Run, Forrest, run. And Forrest Gump would run, and then he ran the whole movie, and at the end, towards the end, he stops on this long road, and he says, it's time to go home. I quit. But where to run? That means when we leave here today, you go out and you continue to run the Christian race. The Christian race is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And a marathon is very difficult. And obviously in the context here, he's talking about the Greek games of the day. And uh, Paul wrote this, do you not know that in, in the race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. That's our call. That is our great call to continue to run the race. We cast off that weight. We cast off the sin that entangles us and keeps us from running. We just run the race. That's your call. That's my call. That we run the race to the best of our ability with the indwelling Holy Spirit and we run, run, run. And I get it. I totally get it. I know that there's days you wake up and the only thing you want to do is go back to bed. Isn't that right? But I'm going to encourage you, when you get on the floor, say a prayer and say, Lord, help me run the race today. Help me continue to move forward in the Christian life. Run in such a way as to get that prize. Let go of those things in the past that will hinder us. Watch the sin and wrongdoing and just run the race. Then he goes, number four, with endurance set before us. This word endurance, hupomene, hupomeno means a capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances. <laughs> I don't know about you, but the, running the Christian race is not going to be popular. In fact, people outside this church will not encourage you. That's why it's so important for us to encourage one another. 
Uh, and this is bearing up under difficult circumstances. I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you, but um, there was a man in our church in Aschaffenburg, West Germany. His name was Rex. And uh, Rex was, uh, he, he was there every Sunday with his wife, Patty. And uh, one day I just said, you know, Rex, I'd like to, because Rex was, he was real. He'd walk in, he'd take his hat off, and he'd hang it up, and everything was slow. And I, I thought, he never talked much, didn't really talk much. So one day on a Sunday when we were at church, I said, Rex, I'd like to have coffee with you. Just kind of get to know you better. And he said, okay. So I can't remember exactly when we had coffee, but I do remember having coffee with him at the snack bar. And I said, Rex, tell me about you. And I was amazed at what he told me. Going back, I think it was 10 years or so, he said, well, my first wife, we had just finished getting married. Rice being thrown, they get in the car, and they take off, and there's a traffic light there. And he proceeds through the traffic light, which it was green, but a car from this side didn't stop. It hit the passenger side of his car, and it killed his newly wedded wife. And I thought, wow, how in the world? He said it was very difficult, but he told me something. He said, but you have to pick up and keep on going. He wound up marrying a girl, Patty, they were both active in our church there, who was a former prostitute who had been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And to see them together, you would think, they don't fit, but I think they fit perfectly. One understood the, the, the need for forgiveness, and one had the mental toughness to keep going in spite of difficulties. And so when we think about continuing this run and uh, enduring the race set before us, we're going to encounter bad stuff. But we cannot let that bad stuff defeat us. We cannot, because that's what Satan wants. You do realize that. Satan wants us to quit. He wants you to get up tomorrow morning and say, the only thing I'm going to do this week is go to church, sing a few hymns, and then I'm doing nothing because life has beat me up. Let me tell you something. Life beats everybody up. And yet, we are still called to run this race. And just let me encourage you today. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I want to encourage you to keep running Live for Jesus. This is never about us. This is always about him. And we live for him in this world and we run for him. And we keep on running. So no matter what's going on in your life, and I know we, get, we get banged up and beat up. Oh my goodness. I, I totally get it. 
but we need to keep running. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It is a long and arduous race. It will be uphill. It will be downhill. We will have obstacles. But let me encourage you to keep on running. Don't quit. The reason that we don't quit, obviously, is because of the prize. The prize is ever before us, that when we die, we go to see Jesus. And so we keep running. A second thing we want to note here is focus on Christ, which is where I've been aiming at. Focus on Christ. Notice what the writer writes. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. A pharaoh means to learn. That, that word looking on pharaoh, uh, a pharaoh, means to learn information about something. In this case, uh, it also can include looking away from other things, and to focus intently on Jesus. When our eyes are so fixed on Jesus that things of this world seem to disappear when we are focused on him. Kenneth Woost, in his notes, writes this, The minute the Greek runner in the stadium takes his attention away from the race course, and the goal to which he is speeding, and turns it upon the onlooking crowd, his speed is slackened. Like I said, stuff's going to happen to us, but stuff does not define who we are. It's the way in which we run. We don't run for the praise of men. We run for the praise of Jesus. And so we keep running, no matter what the obstacle, no matter what the the circumstances, uh, going back to the air assault mile, that is the worst, I think. You carry a full man in a stretcher down the side of a mountain, and you have to make it without the man touching the ground, and it was brutal. In Hawaii, they got some pretty good mountains. You don't think they do, but they do. But we stayed the course, all five of us. And it was difficult. We had to work together as a team. That's what we are, brothers and sisters. We are a team, and we keep moving forward, looking to Jesus. In our case, we were looking to finishing the course. Spiritually, for us, we run to finish the race for Jesus and only for him. Because, see, if we're running it for ourselves, we're going to get tired. And we will get tired if we're running for Jesus, but he is the motivation for running. The object of our life is Jesus. And this looking carries the idea of gaining information. Uh, if you want to know what Jesus was like, go look at the Gospels. Read the Gospels. Let me in, in, encourage you to start in Matthew and read and, and look at how Jesus lived his life. And then as you see these things come up, you jot them down and you say, I'm going to live like this, not like the world. I'm going to get as much information about Jesus as I can so that I can run the race for him. I've said this many times, and even in my own life. 
I ultimately play for an audience of one. I don't play for an audience of a multitude. I play for an audience of one, and that one person is Jesus. Who's your audience? Well, you've got friends and family, but ultimately the one that really matters is Jesus. And so you run for him to please him. Let's glorify God with our lives and continue the run, looking to Jesus, the founder, Archegos, the originator of the movement. Um, I thought about great movements in history, and, and I just write this stuff down as I'm going through the, through the text, and uh, he's the originator of the movement. That's what that word founder means. And I, I think about Dr. Martin Luther King is credited with uh, the civil rights movement. But technically, Rosa Parks in 1955 was the one that was, should be credited with the movement. 1963, Martin Luther King comes along, picks it up, and moves the goalpost for civil rights. But she was the one that refused to sit in the back. And that's actually where the civil rights movement began. And this may sound horrible. I remember, uh, I remember John F. Kennedy's funeral. I was like four. But I remember that. I remember blacks in our country being sprayed with hoses in Mississippi. And so Martin Luther King said, I have a dream that one day man will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of his character. He was accredited with the founder, but I do believe Rosa Parks was the initiator. Think about Jesus. 2,000 years. It is the greatest movement that has ever happened in the history of mankind. He doesn't change the political landscape. Jesus changed the inward landscape. He changes the heart. And when the heart is changed, that change is then affected by the witness that goes out into the world sharing the good news of the kingdom. We have the founder, Jesus Christ, and we are the framework by which he builds his kingdom. And so if we have stopped running and we have quit, then it becomes problematic. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You want to change the culture? Share Jesus. And the stuff that's happening in our culture today is vile. I think it's worse than it's ever been in my lifetime. The stuff that is being allowed in our culture today, and the question is where's the church? Where's the people of God? We need to be out there. That's how we change the culture. We don't change the culture to a large extent by political changes. We have to change people's hearts. And only Jesus can do that. 
Some books inform, some books reform, but only the Bible can transform a person in Jesus Christ. Then we're going to lastly look at his victory. Not only our founder, who was the one that did it all for us as a model. This was very interesting. Verse 2b. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I, I spent some time here. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Some observations. First of all, joyful anticipation. The word joy here is kara, which means a state of rejoicing or great happiness. Now, most scholars focus on the word for, and I think it's important. Gar, for. For the joy that was set before him. And, and you think about these little bitty words and how they transform the interpretation of the biblical text. This for can be interpreted two ways, instead of or because of. So if this word for is instead of, it carries an idea like this. Submitting to the cross, Jesus did not pursue his own pleasure. But secondly, it can mean because of. Double quote here. Uh, David Allen quotes uh, Clayton Corey. Corey makes a good case for the latter meaning, concluding that the preposition indicates the future joy of Jesus' exaltation to God's right hand, a joy for which he endured the cross. So on one end, Jesus didn't pursue anything of his own for, for joy. And on the other end, you have this. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, in 1979, I was 19 years old. I finished basic training, AIT, and was sent to Germany. I'd never been out of this, well, really, the state of Florida until I went to basic training at Fort Gordon, Georgia. And I remember standing there that day as the drill sergeant was reading off our new stations. And he said, Private Fraser, Germany. And I was like, what? So I got on a plane, C-130, flew all the way to Germany. 19 years old. I'm in a different culture. I'm in a different country. And I don't like it. In fact, at the end processing station, I'm up on my top bunk recovering from the flight over because of the time change. Two guys below me have wrapped stuff around their arm and they're shooting up. And they look up at me and they say, hey, kid, you want some? And I was like, no, thank you. I get stationed to my unit and I am homesick. Now, I did eventually make a lot of friends uh, over there and I've lost track with them. Two years. The day that it came time for me to leave, I threw my boots over top of the, which was standard, they, you do that, 
you throw your boots over top and you get on the bus. And I remember the bus pulling out from our unit and I was getting ready to go back to the States. And I saw Sergeant Ford on top of the building stringing a doublet antenna. That moment is etched in my mind for some reason. I get on the plane at Ramstein. It's a civilian flight. I'm in my class B's. I'm the only soldier on the flight. And I remember the eight hour flight home. And I remember the captain coming on a speaker. And he said, for our for our returning soldier, look out the right side of the plane. You will see the Statue of Liberty. Welcome home. Is it possible that the joy that was set before Jesus was the joy of knowing that he would soon be at the right hand of his father? He would be home, but also at the same point, knowing the joy of the cross, reconciling a world that is desperately in need of reconciliation to God. Is it possible that both of these men are correct? I think so. Jesus saw the cross at the end and he realized that I'm going to pay for the people's sin. They'll be reconciled to God. But there's, there's this great joy of being next to my Father in heaven. Wow. That, that was probably part of it. Jesus had been separated in a sense, here, from his father for 33 years. So, in some sense, the cross was joyous because his work was getting ready to be finished. And when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And at that point, in the next 40 days, he appeared to the disciples, over 520 witnesses to the resurrection of Christ, and then to ascend to heaven and to take his rightful place next to the Father. And then someday when we get there and we see Jesus face to face, he's going to say, welcome home. I... I remember the pilot saying that and everybody clapped. And I looked out and I saw the Statue of Liberty. We have the one who gives liberty and freedom. Let us run that race that is set before us. Let us keep moving. He endured the cross He endured the cross. The cross was brutal. We all know that. And he did nothing wrong other than saying that he was the son of God. But he also knew the father's plan from the foundations of the world that he would have to go and die. And yet for the joy set before him endured the cross.
He despised shame. I put it in my own words. Jesus knew the shame of the cross, but he didn't care. Do you know why? Because he loved us. He took one for us. The cross and being mocked and spit on and beaten didn't mean anything to Jesus because he wanted to do his father's plan. Number four, the victory. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Why don't you join me in the first stanza here? I heard an old, old story How my Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his groaning Of his precious blood's atoning Then I repented of my sin And won the victory Oh, victory in Jesus My Savior forever He sought me and bought me With his redeeming blood I loved me ere I knew him And all my love is due him He plunged me to victory Beneath the cleansing flood Others have been faithful, you can too Lighten your load, remove things that will hinder your run and keep your eyes always on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, as we come this morning to the conclusion, I pray that this message would have been from you to your people. We thank you that you did endure the cross Father, if there's some here today that are weighted down by various things, they can settle that here today and just take it off and let it go and keep running. And I I pray that you would keep each one here safe from the evil one who would seek to hurt, hinder, and destroy. And that you would use each one here mightily this week in service for you. We thank you and we love you. Now, Father, have your way with your people. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's stand this morning. Majesty. Majesty.